Greetings to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. Welcome. We are in Habakkuk chapter 3 this afternoon. Of course, there is only three chapters in the book of Habakkuk. So we're closing up our series on Habakkuk this afternoon. And I've entitled this third chapter, Three Points of Power and Prophecy. But before I get into this week's teaching, I just want to thank our donors, all of you that support this ministry through your donations, your giving of your tithes and offerings. You are the ministry. And without you, there would be no ministry. So truly, thank you for your stewardship and for your support of what is happening and what we're doing here at Torah to the Tribes. So let's jump in right now to chapter 3 of Habakkuk. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet for erroneous utterances. Oh Yahuwah, I have heard your speech and I was afraid. O Yahweh, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known. In anger, remember mercy, Rachamim. Elohim came from Teman, and the Holy One from Ha-Paran, Selah. Take pause. Take pause. So, Three points of power and prophecy is the title of this third chapter. Number one, we're going to be looking at erroneous utterances. There's a lot of erroneous utterances going on today. Are we promoting Yahuwah's reign or are we opposing Yahuwah's reign? And number two, I'm going to touch on Calendar cowboys. Yes, I'm going to touch on those calendar cowboys and the spouter of lies. And number three, we're going to look at the prophetic harvest failure of the fig tree, the vine, the olive, and the flock. So as we enter into this final section, Habakkuk's prophetic vision reveals that the proud, they don't rely upon Yahweh and they cannot rest, they cannot abide, and they cannot live. Because Yahweh is going to return their sins upon them. He is going to return their sins upon them and there is nowhere for them to hide. Because Yahweh's final reckoning with the wicked and the establishment of his priestly order is actually confirmation of what has gone before in chapter 2, verse 3. It's confirmation of this. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end, it's going to speak. It's not going to be a lie. Though it tarry, We've got to learn to wait for it. Are you going to wait for it? Though it tarry, we must wait for it because it will surely come. It's a certainty. I know it's coming. You know it's coming. It will not tarry. This is the world that you and I are now living in. 
Yahweh's promises are being fulfilled in our very midst. We've waited. Will you wait? Because Yahweh has got a good thing coming. He has got a good thing coming. But first of all, all of us, we have got to overcome, as it says in the Hebrew, the Shiga Yonah. The Shiga Yonah. The erroneous utterances. Because this is a word that we need to selah, take pause on. In a world that we live in, the social media world of texting and email and Twitter, there are erroneous utterances or shigayona everywhere, everywhere. In a world of email, text and news feeds that inundate us with audio and visual utterances, how many of those are shigayona? erroneous utterances think about it take stock of your device take stock of your computer take stock of that screen that lights up your face and ask yourself how much of it that comes across my screen each and every day is sugar yona an erroneous utterance How much access are you giving to people in your life? And this isn't a question I'm just asking you. This is a question that I oft ask myself. How much access are you giving people into your life to listen to Shigayona, erroneous utterances? Are they people that speak sound utterances? Or are they people that speak unsound utterances? Are they spurious or are they genuine? Are they fictitious or are they factual? Are their utterances biblically coherent? Or are they an incoherent jumble from uninspired writings dusted off from uninspired pseudo-intellectual shelves? These are questions that I often ask myself because so much comes into my inbox, so many texts, so many, that I would be inundated if I responded to them all. I have to go, okay, what is it that truly needs to be addressed? What is coherent? What is a shigayona, an erroneous utterance? Because we have to steward our time properly. Because people can have noble causes, diet, calendar, and all kinds of various noble things. But you and I have to realize that the human causes in whatever age are always marred by the animal instinct. Always. Or creaturely pride and selfishness. And all of this, what does it do? It wars against Yahuwah himself. Because we're living in a season where Yahweh is at work establishing his reign in the hearts and communities of sinful human beings through the power of the Ruach, through the power of his Holy Spirit. So we have a choice to make. You and I can either choose to oppose Yahweh's reign or we can choose to promote 
Yahweh's reign. But the only way we're going to be successful in doing that is by taking our eyes off sinful human beings, of which we all are. We have to have the big picture, the kingdom mind sign, the mindset, excuse me. Because you and I, we're not always going to agree with the means by which Yahweh chooses to pursue the goal of establishing his reign. My prayer is that as we go into this next season here at Torah to the Tribes, my goal is that we will see that like it or not, and a few not, Yahweh is using Torah to the Tribes to promote his reign in spite of sinful human beings in spite of sinful human beings now if you focus on me and I focus on you then we're both going to chuck in the towel with Torah to the tribes and then we'll both end up inadvertently opposing Yahweh's reign because we had our eyes on sinful human flesh both of us We have to overcome our sometimes short-sightedness. We do. And we have to focus on where Yahweh is working, not necessarily through Yahweh is working. It's not all about you, and it's certainly not all about me. And if we can keep that in mind, we'll finally get somewhere. And I believe that that is where Yahweh is taking us today as a ministry. We're starting to see, I mean, look around. Look around in here. We're finally getting somewhere. Finally. That maybe we should have been a long road before. But first of all, I had to travel and you had to travel down this road to get to the next season. And it's not something that's unique to us. It's something that Rav Shaliak Shaul, the Apostle Paul, addressed to the assemblies. We need to not have confidence in sinful human beings, but confidence in the promotion of Yahweh's reign. Here, through Torah to the tribes, Listen to the testimonies. We, I mean, I just posted one this afternoon from India. Listen to the testimonies and check the fruit and see the fruit. You shall know them by their fruit. So it's time as we enter into this next season for you and for me to count it all as a loss for Yahushua and get used to the fellowship of sufferings because I'm telling you as a witness this past year in the fellowship of sufferings when you can endure and come through the other side is the clarity of vision and the blessing so let us rejoice as Paul says in our afflictions because out of affliction is birth beauty if we endure and do not look at sinful human beings along the way and this is what we need to do we need to get used to the fellowship of sufferings and the fellowship of his sufferings because it's actually helping us this i realize it's actually helping us to become conformed to his death which will bring about our own redemption resurrection 
And here at Torah to the Tribes, a resurrection of ministry. I hope that made sense. I'm just sharing from my heart and now I'll dive on. I'll press on. I'll press on. But we all need to press on together to that goal. Because I'm determined to forget the past hurts and disappointments. Yet all the while marking those that have inadvertently, they didn't mean to, but have inadvertently opposed Yahweh's reign, whose God is their belly and whose mind is set on earthly things. Don't fight it, just mark, avoid, and press on. Because we are going to reach the goal together in community here at Torah to the Tribes. Gathering, gathering, gathering. Look what it says in Philippians 3 verse 4. Powerful passage. Though I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. If any other man thinketh to have confidence in the flesh. I yet more circumcised on the eighth day. Of the stock of Israel. Of the tribe of Benjamin. A Hebrew of Hebrews. As touching the law of Pharisee, as touching zeal, persecuting the church, as touching the righteousness which is in the Torah, found blameless. How bet what things were gained to me, these I have counted as loss for Messiah. Yea, verily, I count all things to be loss. For the excellency of the knowledge of Messiah Yahushua, my master, for whom I suffered the loss of all things and do count them but refuge, refuse, excuse me, that I may gain Messiah and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, even that which is of the Torah, but that which is through faith in Messiah, the righteousness which is from Yahuwah by faith. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings become conformed unto his death. If by any means I may attain unto the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained or am already made perfect, but I press on. That's what it's about. It's about pressing on in the midst of sufferings. Turning those sufferings into joy. This is what we're all about. Not that I have already obtained, but that I press on, if so be, that I may lay hold on that for which I also was laid hold on by Messiah Yahushua. Brethren, brethren, I count not myself yet have to have laid hold, but one thing I do, forgetting, this is it, it's time to forget the things which are behind and stretching forward to the things which are before. And that's where we're here at this ministry. Forget the things from the past. Now is the time to stretch forward to the glorious things that are before. The glorious things that are before. I press on toward the goal unto the prize of the high calling of Yahuwah in Messiah Yahushua. Let us, verse 15, therefore, as many as are perfect, be thus minded. And if anything ye are otherwise minded, this also shall Yahweh reveal unto you. 
Only whereunto we have attained by the same rule, let us therefore walk. Brethren, be ye imitators together of me, and mark them that so walk, even as ye have us for an example. So yes, part of us pressing on toward the goal is marking those from the past that have then actually gone against the reign of Yahuwah. Maybe inadvertently, maybe through ignorance, oftentimes because they focused on sinful human flesh. But the vision is of the kingdom and it is a pressing on toward the goal. So what we do now is continue on together. And he goes on to say, finally, for many walk of whom I told you often and now tell you even in weeping or a heavy heart, even in weeping, that they are enemies of the work of Messiah. Whose end is perdition, whose God is the belly, and whose glory is their shame, who mind earthly things. And that is how the majority get taken out along the way. But we must be a different people, a priestly nation, a holy nation. Now our next section of Habakkuk chapter 3 is the most extensive an elaborate theopony in the whole of the Tanakh. It is absolutely amazing. You're going to see this manifestation of Yahweh to humankind. His glory covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. And his brightness was as the light, verse 4. And he had horns coming out of his hand and there was the hiding of his power. This third chapter of Habakkuk, now we see the theopony. The light, verse 4, is only the veiling of the power of Yahweh. It's actually a veil of the power of Yahweh, who determined his purpose at the book of the covenant, unveiling at Mount Sinai. Now he has endured, like us, disappointments and is now bringing his purpose into completion. So to attain Yahweh's purpose, you have to endure disappointments. But you have to work through those disappointments. You have to. Verse 5, before him went the pestilence. And the burning coals went forth at his feet. He stood and he measured the earth. He beheld and drove asunder the nations. And the ancient mountains were scattered. And the ancient hills did bow his ways. His ways are everlasting, aren't they? Don't I take comfort? Don't you take comfort that Yahweh's ways are everlasting? Verse 7. I saw the tents of Kushan in affliction. And the curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was Yahweh displeased against the rivers? Or was he? Was your anger against the rivers? Was your anger against the sea that you did ride upon your horses and your Merkavot, your chariots of salvation? So here the prophet, he's remembering back. He's remembering the past judgments that befell Midian 
You may remember in the book of Numbers in chapter 31 and in the book of Judges in chapter 3, this past judgment that befell Midian. Now the prophet's bringing it into clarity of mind and recalling these past judgments. Why? Why has Yahuwah come forth? Uh-oh. Has Yahuwah come forth to turn the rivers into blood again? Oh, we don't want that again. Is he gone to do is he about to do that again? Just like he did the Nile. This is what the prophet is thinking. It's revealed to us through his very writings. So the natural world now serves its creator. Yahuwah will come again to conquer the chaos just as he did at creation. And we live in a chaotic world. Everything is become fluid. There's gender fluidity. Everything is fluid. There is nothing that stands as truth. Because truth is a person. And unless you know the person, you have no comprehension of truth. Truth is fluid outside of knowing the person. Yahushua is truth. So truth isn't out here. Truth is knowing a person. So the world, of course, is fluid in its truth. Because it does not know the person from which it emanates Yahushua himself, which is exactly the dialogue that Yahushua had with Pontius Pilate, right? Not knowing truth. What is truth? Well, if you don't embrace the sun, you have no standard of truth. And it becomes fluid, like gender, and all of these things in a world of chaos. It's only going to get more chaotic only going to get more chaotic. So we see that we're living in this world and quite honestly, those that know the Savior are firmly planted and rooted as the world becomes more chaotic. So they ultimately, in the chaos, will look to the light and that's when you have the multitude of the cloud of witnesses spoken of in Revelation. It's going to be easier to evangelize as the world becomes more chaotic. You see. So don't give up hope. You're being actually trained and prepared for a season and a time that has not yet come. But wait, it's coming. Because look at num- verse number 9. We're really preparing for Armageddon. I mean, that's what I'm trying to tell you. You uncovered and bent your bow. Your arrows were abundant according to your word. Selah. Now let's pause and meditate on that. Because Yahuwah removes the covering from his battle bow. As Habakkuk sees a vision of our coming Armageddon in Revelation chapters 16 through 19. He's getting a glimpse of that. You did cut through the earth with rivers. Verse 10. The mountains saw you and they trembled. The storms of the water pass over. The deep uttered its voice and lifted up its hands on high. This is the manifestation of Yahweh to his creation. Now as we enter into verse 11. I'm going to shift gears onto my second point. Calendar cowboys. I received another calendar. Another calendar this week. Oh, will it ever stop? Oh, yeah, please let it stop. The crazy ass math 
that these people do is insane to me. And Americans are not dogging on Americans. I live in Amer- I'm an, an English American, right? But Americans, you know, ask, ask the Japanese and the Chinese. The Americans are not renowned for their great mathematicians, okay? I mean, go to Persia, go to Japan, you know, go to China. But, but come on, Americans and our school system and math, you know, it's infrequent that we find really good mathematics. But the crazy-ass calendar math, excuse my French, that comes in my email boxes, you're like, really? And they're pulling from all of these books that are not in the Bible, super convenient. It's everything but the Bible. So right now, I'm going to address those calendar cowboys. Look at verse 11, because I like to stay in simplicity and the written inspired. Yes, it's inspired. It is breathed by the Holy Spirit word of Yahuwah. And if we can do that, we're going to get rid of some crazy math. We're going to get rid of the calendar cowboys and their extra biblical mumbo jumbo. Okay, because let's just spend our time where the meat is and where the ruach is, where the power is. I want power because power is the kingdom. Intellect, logic and reason tried that on doesn't fit. You end up becoming a Pharisee. The sun and the moon, they stood still in their dwelling. At the light of your arrows, they went. And at the shining of your glittering spear. So, here we go. Calendar cowboys. The reason that Torah to the tribes for the feastal cycle follows a 360 day calendar is very simple. It's because it's found in the Bible. You don't have to do any crazy math. It's simply found in the Bible, Scripture alone. Specifically, in the Book of the Covenant segment of Scripture. Which means it's Malkitzedic in its ordination. Now, we have to understand, during Noah's day... There was a 360-day year. Sure, verse 11. Look at verse 11. There was a cataclysmic shift in the days of Joshua. There was. Joshua chapter 10, verse 14. What happened in Joshua chapter 10, verse 14? There was a cataclysmic shift when Yahweh refracted the light and he slowed the earth's rotation down, producing Joshua's a long day. And Yahuwah will again, as in the days of Joshua, he will, Yahuwah will stop time. He'll do it again. Yahuwah will again, as in the days of Hezekiah, 2 Kings chapter 20 verse 9, he'll even make time run backwards. Giving us a 360 day year that the prophecies of the Bible say is coming again. It's a stop and a reversal of the earth's rotation. Depending on what model you believe. But we won't even get into that. Okay. So the Bible alone is clear as it was. So it will be again. 
as it was, so it will be again. And I choose, in my life, all the time we pray this in my household, and it, it's powerful, I choose to live as Romans 4.17 says. We call of the things that are not yet as though they were. That's a powerful prayer, and we do it all the time. We call the things that are not yet as though they were. And I'm calling in a 360-day year into our feast-keeping reality here at Torah to the Tribes. Because we're preparing for Armageddon. We're preparing for the future, and we know it's coming. The Bible alone is clear. As it was, so it will be again. As it was, so it will be again. We choose to live that reality. And crazy math is not a part of that reality. It's absolutely exhausting and so confusing and disillusioning to listen to these hybrid Dead Sea Scrolls, Book of Enoch, Jubilees, hodgepodge of literal men's pride and their intellectual prowess. And reality is, the biblical grasp of what the Bible says is small compared to all of this extra biblical stuff. I don't have time for it. Because I'd rather be here where the power is. Where the power is. And uh, I don't want to be in the soulish realm. Because it's so soulish. It is so soulish. And it doesn't inspire me. I'm just, the Ruach is not there. It truly isn't. So let's be real. The Bible declares the prophecy of the solar 360-day year because it was established in the past. Ecclesiastes 1.19, we all know it. That which has been, back in Genesis 8, verse 3, is that which what? That which will be again, Revelation 11 and 12. And that which hath been done, back in Genesis 8 verse 3, is that which shall be done again in Revelation 11 and 12. And there is no new crazy ass math under the sun that you need to send me, please. Just saying. Okay? Just saying. <laughs> enough is enough. In my inbox, because I'm done with the shigayona, the utterances that drive me crazy. The calendar is already established, and it will be established from the Bible, not from Enoch, not from Jubilees, and not from some crazy-ass math from a bunch of apostate people who were living down in Qumran, who were looking for a Messiah that wasn't Yahusha. If that doesn't tell you that they weren't on track, I don't know. They didn't accept Yahusha as Messiah. They were looking for another. I think the Bible says something about that. Mark them. So we shouldn't be looking to that. 
when we have the inspired word to look to. So as it was, so it shall be again. The prophet Isaiah understood that, declaring the end, Revelation 11 and 12, from the beginning, Genesis 8 verse 3, we're going to go back to a 360 day calendar. So therefore, let's call it into reality right now and start practicing it and start preparing for the things that are coming upon this planet, this earth, this world, this globe, maybe, if you think that's the model. But this we do know, Matthew chapter 24, verse 37. I'm having a little bit of fun with my calendar cowboy rabbi trail here. But you know, if you were in my position and you had to listen to some of the things I had to listen to and some of the the calendar sheets that I've read, oh my goodness, I think you'd be even more sarcastic than I'm being right now. But you know, bear with me. Look what it says. I love the simplicity of the word. Matthew chapter 24, verse 37. Listen to it in new, with new ears. But as the days of Noah were. What were the days of Noah? They were 360 days in a year. As the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. We're not going to be in a 365 day, what is it, 365.2 something or other days, 2.4 something right there, I don't know, 365 and a bit. No, it's not going to be like that. It's going to be like in the days of Noah, so it shall be when the Son of Man comes. Look at Mark chapter 13 verse 19. For in those days shall be affliction, such as was not from the becoming of the creation, which Yahuwah created unto this time, neither shall be, verse 20, and except that the master had, he's going to have to shorten the days from 365.24 days to 360 days. He's going to shorten the days because if he hadn't shortened the days, no flesh should be saved. But for the elect's sake whom he hath chosen, he hath shortened the days. It's very clear. And I'm not doing crazy math. The craziest math I've told you is what they're telling us now, that a year is 365.24 or 365 days, 5 hours, 48 minutes, and 46 seconds. But then it's so screwed up that in, on year 4, we're just going to make it like at another day. Or if you're Jewish and the part of the synagogue of Satan, why don't you just stick a 13th month on the calendar? Where do you find that in the Bible? You don't, but the synagogue of Satan doesn't follow the Bible, so it's fine for them. But we're not going to do that because we're the priesthood. Look what it says in Genesis chapter 8 verse 3. And this is my kind of calendar teaching, okay? It's a little bit more lighthearted. We can actually track with me. Genesis chapter 8 verse 3. And the waters returned from off the earth continually. And after the end of 150 days, the waters were abated. And the ark rested in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, upon the mountains of Ararat. 
So we know from this scripture that the flood covered the land from the 17th of the second month to the 17th of the seventh month. This is a clear cut five month period that the Bible states was how many days? 150, which is divisible by 30. 30 times 5 equals 150 days. That's about as crazy-ass math as you're going to get from the Bible. And I know I've said that, and people but I can't believe you. Well, get over it, okay? I don't care. So it is what it is. You know, you use much worse language of that when you're driving and somebody cuts you off. So don't get all holier than thou because Matthew's calling it out for what it is. If you can't take a little ass, get out of the kitchen, okay? So it is what it is. I make no apologies. I'm done apologizing, okay? At this point in my life, I don't care. So, it's clear to me, and I'm no calendar cowboy. I am no calendar cowboy. It's clear for me even to see, it's got to be clear for you to see, that a 30-day month of the prophetic year is a biblical reality. 30 times 5 equals 150 days. That's about as much math as is getting from this bloke right here. Look at Esther, the book of Esther, chapter 1, verse 4. Now when he, this is talking of course about King Xerxes, showed the riches of his glorious kingdom and the splendor of his excellent majesty for many days, 180 days in all. So 180 days equals 6 times 30 is 6 months. That's pretty clear too, isn't it? Don't you love this? How simple... I mean, even my children can do this math. Actually, I shouldn't say even my children because their math is way more advanced. We have to hire a tutor because I can't even drive. (laughs) Wow. Let's get somebody from college, please. Revelation chapter 11, verse 2. They will trample on the holy city for 42 months. And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. Divide that by 31, and it makes no sense. Divide it by 30.64, make, just divide it by 30, okay? Let's pack up and go home and go and have an oneg, right? It's not that hard. The crazy stuff that people send me, and, and, and you're like, okay, Where's the scripture verse? Okay, yep, okay, another Dead Sea Scroll. Oh, another Dead Oh, oh, another Jubilees. Oh, another... Just give me a Bible verse, please. You got nothing. Bunch of this. Nothing. You got nothing. Nothing in the Bible. Oh, but you got 63 pages from some desert rat 2,000 years ago that didn't believe that Yahushua was the Messiah and they were looking for the priest of righteousness who was actually the spouter of lies. I mean, I don't know. It's just, it's, 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 it's so, it's so actually scary. It really makes you wonder. It really does. I'm like, wow, it's surely, what are we doing? The problem is, We live in a world where there is so much information. And if you start to part from the word of Yahuwah, goodbye. 
Goodbye. It's not going to be long before you depart from the sun. Goodbye. Because everything that I've ever learned about this faith is because the spirit of the living Yah came into me through the blessedness of his son who sits at the right hand and everything is in the Bible. Yes, I like to look and see how, what the monkey, funky monks have been up to with their translations. And yes, I like to poke fun at the King Jimmy. And yes, I do not believe in the BLT, the Bacon and Lettuce and Tomato version. But, you know, that doesn't mean that we go and we look in all of this extra biblical nonsense for doctrine. I love history. I love history. We all know that. But I don't get my doctrine from history. I love history. I've read the Dead Sea Scrolls. I've read Jubilees and Enoch, what, one, two, three, four? Which one is really Enoch? Nobody knows. But I'm not going to get my doctrine from there. Because the moment I get my doctrine from there, then just go and find another ministry to follow because this one would not be worth following. It's not that difficult. If we have something called discernment, which I feel is so lacking because it means there's a void in spirit. And that's something that you have to go to the Father for. That's something that you have to go. Enough preaching. Revelation 12 verse 6. The woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by Yahuwah, where she might be taken care of for 1260 days. And there were given to the woman the two wings of the great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness unto her place, where she is nourished for a time and times and a half time for the face of the serpent. And we know this again is divisible by a 30-day month. So there's my little segue on calendar cowboys, and I've given you more scripture than any cowboy would. So there we go. Let's jump back into Habakkuk chapter 12. That was a little fun excursion of me, for me. I had to do that when I received another calendar this week. I'm like, I've got to work this into the teaching, and I've got to get really sarcastic, because at this point, I don't think I can take another calendar. How many years ago, Dane, was it that we were skiing? We were on, I mean, this was years ago. I mean, so he knows. He's been through it all with me. We were like skiing on a ski trip. And this was before, I don't know if I even had kids. Maybe they were really young. And I was in the car and trying to figure out, so I think it was the lunar, uh, the, it was the, was it the lunar calendar back then? I was like, wrecked our whole ski trip. You know, oh, oh, oh. nothing has changed. I do not want to go back to those days. Praise Yah, we've been delivered from such nonsense. I just feel for the people that are going down that road again. Yes. What brought me, question was, what brought me to this realization was a failure of my logic, intellect, and reason. And realizing that you have to return back to your first love. And it is faith that sustains you. And that everything is found in the Bible. Yes, it's enjoyable to get to the correct translations. Yes, I enjoy breaking down the Hebrew and the Greek when I can, when it's necessary. 
But the Bible, the Bible, the Bible alone and the power of the Malkitzedic priesthood. That my high priest doesn't sit down in Qumran. He sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for me and you daily. I'm going to look to him and I'm going to find the answers in the scripture. And I've just given you more scripture than anyone will give you with a non 360 day calendar. Because it doesn't exist outside of the Bible. The Bible alone tells you it's a 360 day calendar. Yes, we recognize that there was a cataclysmic shift in the days of Joshua and in the days of Hezekiah. But we also understand that the beginning is going to be declared. We're going to see it in our future. We're going to call that into faith right now. We're going to practice our feastly schedule on what will be coming down the road. So we're prepared for it. We're ready. And we're already aligned in the very will of Yahweh. So now verse 12. You did march through the land in indignation. You did thresh the heathen in anger. You went forth for the salvation salvation of your people, even for the salvation of your anointed. You wounded the head out of the house of the wicked by laying bare from the foundation to the neck. More pausing, more salah. You did strike through with his own arrows, the head of his leaders. They came out as a whirlwind to scatter me. Their rejoicing was to devour the poor secretly. You did weep, walk through the sea with your horses, through the heap of great water. And when I heard, my belly trembled. My lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered into my bones. And I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he comes up to the people, he will invade them with his troops. Isn't that powerful? Selah. When it gets to the final section now, number three, the infamous harvest failure of the fig tree, the vine, the olive, and the flock. And how many of us have meditated upon this verse? These few verses, so many times, I imagine in our life, I know I have. Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse 16. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vine. The labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in Yahuwah. I will joy in the Elohim of my Yeshua salvation. Yahuwah Elohim, he is my strength. And he will make my feet like hinds feet. And he will make me to walk upon mine high places to the chief singer on my stringed instruments. I remember years ago, I was climbing um, the North Sister with a brother. And there's this final section on the North Sister um, and it's this terrible traverse, of, and there's about a 7,000-foot drop. And then you have to climb up this chimney. And I just 
it was getting late towards the end of the day and we're like, by the time we run a rope across there and put pickets in, that's going to eat up so much time, we're not going to be able to summit. We're going to have to turn around. So we had to make this decision. We're going to traverse across this, and it was just scree, so not very stable, but we're going to just do it unroped and just go for it. And I go first, of course, Muggins here. And just, just, just do it. Yes, there's 7,000 foot exposure. And this was the first time I heard this verse. And this, this guy I was climbing with, he, he, he just, we started praying it and praying it. I'm like, oh, where, where's that from? He's like, oh, it's from Habakkuk. I'm like, oh yeah, we're going to make, make our feet like Heinz feet and we'll make us sure upon high plate. I'm like, yes, yes, I feel, let's do it. And yes, so I succeeded in summiting the North Sister, and here I am today. So that was the first calling in of that verse. I love the power when you're in any situation, especially desperate situations, just praying scripture. And then the power of the Holy Spirit just confirming his words. We may have taken that a little out of context, but at the time it was right in context for us. But let's look at this at the Peshat in the plain sense. Let's look at this in the Rumez, a hint, and then we'll go into the Sod. So the Peshat, the failure of the fig tree and vine or field and flock are due to the invasion of the Babylonians. This is the plain sense of what the text is talking about. Just as it's stated in Jeremiah, and I'll read it for you, chapter 5, verse 15. Plain sense of the text is the failure of the harvest is due to the invasion of the Babylonians. Plain and simple. Lo, I will bring a nation upon you from afar, O house of Israel, saith Yahweh. It is a mighty nation. It is an ancient nation, a nation whose language thou knowest not. Neither understandeth what they say. Their quiver is an open sepulcher. They are all mighty men, and they... They shall eat up thine harvest and thy bread, which thy sons and thy daughters should eat. They shall eat up the flocks, they shall eat up the herds, and they shall eat up the vines, and they shall eat up the fig trees. They shall impoverish thy fenced cities, therein and wherein thou treadest with the sword. There you have it. That's the plain sense of the text. The prophet Jeremiah confirms that for us. This is a Babylonian invasion, and they're going to decimate your harvest due to your rebellion against Yahuwah. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stores. Yet I will rejoice in Yahuwah. I will joy in the Elohim of my Yeshua salvation. Yahuwah Elohim is my strength. And he will make my feet like hinds feet. And he will make me walk upon the high places. Of course, this is to the chief singer on my stringed instruments. But the Remez, this is hinting at something so much more than just the Babylonian invasion. Because the olive tree is both houses of Israel. The olive tree is both houses of Israel. And Israel will fail to prevent their ongoing captivity. 
They're going to go into captivity. Their harvest is going to fail. They are going to have decimation upon their house. And they're going to go into slavery in the nations. And they will fail to prevent that. Because they have rebelled against Yahuwah. That is the remez. That is what this is truly hinting about. In fact, Yahushua came to restore that decimation, didn't he? And he said it so succinctly when he said, I am not sent, but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And then later he knew after his death, the exile would continue when he said, they would smite the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. And there's nothing that Israel can do to prevent that except when the Messiah comes, embrace him because he alone will be gathering back in to the fold those that were scattered abroad. In fact, Shimon Kiefer, Peter wrote this, feed the flock of Elohim which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly. Not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Neither being as lords over Yahuwah's heritage, which is his flock, but being an example to the flock. Of course, that's First Peter chapter 5. So Yahushua knew it. So, the exile and return are in fact all part of the punishment and then a later reward of Messiah. It's all part of the punishment. And then the later reward. You and I. Where are we living? What generation? Are we living in the generation of the punishment? You and I are the first people in thousands of years. That are actually on the precipice. In the very midst of seeing the reward blossom. We are the first people in 2,000 years that hold the testimony of Yahushua and keep the commandments. Returning to the Torah, returning to the biblical feasts, in turn returning to the foundations of our faith, the faith of Abraham, and embracing the Malkitzedic book of the covenant reality that had escaped even the Pharisees. And the Sadducees. So we're not the generation that is living under the punishment. We're the generation that is living under the reward. That was attained by the work of Messiah. Yet he waited patiently for you. This last generation. The reward has arrived in our days. Can you really succinctly grasp that? But for us to be victorious. Not to listen to the utterances of folly. Not to get into all of this non-biblical nonsense. For us to truly, truly, to truly endure. We have got to understand that our war is not against flesh and blood. And this is the sowed level application of Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 16. Listen to the words of the text one last time. Because victory over principalities is what I'm talking about. 
You've got to learn to walk in the spirit and be weighed and balanced with the truth, the Torah. But you've got to have the Ruach HaKodesh to overcome principalities. Otherwise, they are going to succeed in kicking ashes in your eyes. Which is how so many people are getting taken out right now. Because the devil is kicking up ashes in their eyes and they're losing their vision. And they're just grasping for straws, grasping for straws. The true reward of Messiah, he'll enable the other half of the prophecy to be fulfilled in you. He really will. Yahuwah Elohim is my strength. This isn't about climbing the north sister. Yahuwah Elohim is my strength. And he will make my feet like hinds feet. And he will make me walk upon mine high places. He's going to make us do what? He's going to make our feet like hinds feet. And he's going to let us enable us to walk upon mine high places. You and I will finally, finally be able to trample down the principalities and powers and rulers of darkness that have stalked our generations, that have stalked our walk. You and I have to understand that we are Yahweh's heritage and the inheritors of this particular promise. If you will only exercise it and walk upon it, Ephesians 6 verse 12, we have now the parallel in the language, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities against powers against the rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places in high places and he will make me walk upon mine high places I've got to get the victory over mine high places those principalities that are stalking my generation and are trying to stalk my walk or trying to kick up ashes in the eyes of this believer He's enabling us to do this through the redemptive work of Yahushua. Habakkuk is a prophet with a vision of his day. The Babylonians, yes, in the plain sense. But he's hinting at the work of Messiah in the Ramez. But the sowed here is that you and I are equipped to fully overcome the principalities. That can be despair. That can be a lack of joy. That can be low motivation. That can be, it can be anything. Oftentimes what gets you down is a principality that you've let follow you around. That's it. It becomes a familiar way to you. A familiar way to you. Kicking that out and bringing in the harvest is where the redemption lies. So this journey through Habakkuk, it's been fun for me. I love the short minor prophets. You can dig in. Tunnel in for a while and then get out. I know I had a little fun with the calendar cowboys, but hey, it's worth it to me because then I won't get any more of those emails. And by the way, if you really want to find out more about the calendar, we've got amazing resources up in Canada that visit us often. That is, you can email Charlene at TorToTheTribes.com and join the calendar group on Friday nights. They've got another website that's being manned in Australia. It's got huge resources and a slew of biblical information. That's why I love it. 
And these are great resources. Charlene at Torah to the Tribes for your calendar questions. If you want to get with other people that love to study the calendar like I do, but are actually a lot better at it than me, it's going to be biblically based. And that's the most important thing. And it's inspirational. I love to be inspired, not disillusioned. I pray that you will be blessed and we'll see you when the smoke clears if we can get through this week and the White House's crazy stuff they're implementing. Anyway, Shabbat Shalom.